Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly, and in this episode I interview Ben Bulis, the president of AFTA. We cover a lot of territory, starting with Ben's early fishing career in New England, to all the great outreach that AFTA is doing to promote our sport, and uh, we end up with a really great overview of all the great things that are going to happen at IFTD in Denver in October. But before we get on to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, it'd be really great if you could give us a review and a rating in iTunes and subscribe in the podcatcher of your choice or a new development on the Articulate 5 front. We now have apps. So if you go to the Apple Store or the uh, Google Play Store or the Amazon Android App Store and search the Articulate Fly, you can download our app. Uh, We'll be pushing uh, bonus content and all sorts of good stuff in addition to our regular episodes through the app. And before we move on, just want to give a shout out to this episode's sponsor, the 20th Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival. The event will be held on January 11th and 12th in Doswell, Virginia. And if you visit www.vaflyfishingfestival.org, or our events page, you can get all the latest information on speakers, vendors, and classes. Now on to the interview. Well, welcome to the Articulate Fly, Ben. I'm really glad you're able to join us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, Marvin. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I have an Articulate Fly tradition. I always ask all of my guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Ooh, the, I think the earliest fishing memory that I have... Um I grew up in southern New Hampshire and uh, in Manchester, and uh, in Manchester is a, a lake called Lake Massabesic, uh, and I remember, vaguely remember, um, fishing there. I was probably six or so, and uh, my sister was uh, five and a half, or excuse me, five, four and a half, um, and she caught a huge trout while uh, spin fishing there, and I remember... Um, my dad, for some reason, had a uh, a five gallon bucket, and I remember the fish would not fit in the five gallon bucket. So that's probably like the earliest memory that I have of fishing. That's really awesome. And when did you move to the dark side of fly fishing? Um, I would say the first the first time I fly fished, I was probably eight or nine years old, um, up in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Uh, our family would every summer go up there a couple times a summer and camp at a campground up there called Jigger Johnson's campground. And the swift river runs, uh, directly through the campground. And, uh, one of our family friends, uh, he was a, uh, a sales rep for Woolrich at the time. And he was a, a big fly angler and, and, uh, he took me out one afternoon and, uh, I caught my first fish on the fly up on the uh, swift river. That's really cool. Do you remember the fly? I do not remember the fly. No, it was a dry fly though. I do remember that. Awesome. And so as you kind of progressed deeper and deeper into the sport, who were some of the folks that mentored you? You know what? I, I, uh, I had the, I had the privilege of, um, my, uh, when I got a little bit older, I think I was 12 or 13. My mom and dad bought a, uh, uh, a beach house, uh, in Maine and, <clears throat> Uh, and before that, years before that, we would rent a beach house as well in the same same neighborhood in Saco, Maine. And uh, I was just enamored with fishing, especially in saltwater. It was just, for some reason, um, the uh, the adrenaline of uh, of catching a fish on in the saltwater just it just uh, it stuck with me. It's it still sticks with me today. I mean, I uh, I love obviously. Uh, freshwater fishing, but my passion is saltwater fly fishing. 
for sure. So, you know, in those early years, um, I spent a lot of time running up and down the beach, just chasing, you know, bait balls and trying to catch bluefish and, and striped bass. Very, very cool. And obviously, you know, you grew up in New England. How did you end up in the Northern Rockies? Uh, I moved to Montana to go to school at Montana State University, and uh, I've been here ever since. It's, uh, let's see here now, 26 years, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'll ever leave Montana. Yeah, so, because uh, I guess you went to Montana State, right, to study engineering? I did. Yeah, yeah. And, I did. and so I guess you joined AFTA in 2012. Uh, what made you decide that you wanted to leave um the commercial world and get into the not-for-profit world? You know, I was, uh, you know, my, uh, my former wife and I always said when we, before we had kids that one of us wanted to stay home with them. And, uh, uh, I guess I was the fortunate one because she, uh, her, uh, her career was a little bit more lucrative. And, uh, and so let's see, that was, uh, in 2003. Um, and I stayed at home and, and, uh, I started getting into guiding fly fishing a little bit um, uh, for my own sanity, I guess, um, uh, for a gentleman by the name of Brad Parsh, who owned uh, a fly shop in Big Sky, Montana at the time. And, uh, you know, one thing led into led to another. And then it was, let's see, 2000, end of 2011, early 2012 is when I started thinking, yeah, I'm ready to go back to work. My son's going to be going into um, kindergarten. Um, and, uh, one thing led to another. I was, uh, friends with real good friends with Jim Klug, who owns yellow dog fly fishing adventures here in Bozeman. Um, and, uh, we were at the movie theater in big sky with our kids and, uh, and kind of to make it short, but neither of our, our kids, his son Gus at the time was in an infant carrier and he was crying and uh, at the movie theater. And my son who was you know, four and a half, at the time, uh, didn't really like movies. And so, uh, we left the movie theater and in big sky, it's a, you can get pizza and, and you can get drinks as well. And so we went out and had a beer and had some pizza and he looked at me and he was like, Hey, would you be interested in, in, uh, in working for AFTA? And I was like, I don't know. Let me, uh, let me take a look at it. Let me, you know, let me think about it. And he and I talked about it over the next few weeks. And, um, I did some research on AFTA and, uh, Jim was the Jim Klug was the chairman at the time and introduced me to Scott Harkins, who's a sales rep in uh, Colorado, and he was the vice chair at the time. And we just started talking back and forth. And they said, "Well, come up with a come up with a plan of what you think uh, you could do for AFTA." And and uh, well, the rest is history. I started April April first, you know, of two thousand twelve. Very neat. And for some of my listeners who may not know what AFTA is, can you tell us a little bit about what the organization does for the industry? Yeah, sure. Um, AFTA, the acronym stands for the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. So uh, we are a group of members. Um, it's a member-based organization, obviously, directly tied to the industry, fly fishing industry. So it's made up of uh, guides and retailers and media and manufacturers um, media entities, anyone who is in the, in the business of fly fishing, um, that's who we represent. So from, let's see, we, we represent the industry on all different levels, whether if it's from tax and trade issues, uh, to clean water issues, to access issues, um, anything that you can imagine, 
or that, that we deal with within the industry. Um, we do a lot of, we do a lot of work in Washington, DC. Um, we have a great, great relationship, um, with, with members of Congress. Um, we, uh, we also work closely with a lot of our, um, associations, kind of, uh, nonprofit associations, conservation organizations, uh, whether if that's backcountry hunters and anglers or trout unlimited or the Theodore Roosevelt conservation partnerships. Um, I sit on a policy council as well for TRCP. Um, and we're, yeah, we're, we're deeply, deeply tied, uh, in Washington DC and, uh, we get a, we get a great uh, audience when we, when we go there. I mean, people who doesn't like fly fishing. Yeah, no, I've, I've connected with a lot of people through the sport myself. So backing up a, a little bit. So you started on April 1st in 2012. What did the landscape of AFTA look like and what challenges was the organization facing when you took over? Well, the organization at that time had gone through a couple, um, troubling or not troubling, but, uh, difficult times. Um, one, one of the things was, um, so the IFTD, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, International Fly Tackle Dealer Show, was called FTR, which was uh, uh, Fly Tackle Retailer. And it was owned by a different entity. It was not owned by the association. Um, and so um, if you go back and do some history and research on on that time frame, uh, it was uh, the company who owned it at one point in time came to the board at, uh, and said that they were not going to produce a, uh, an annual trade show for the association. And I think that was in 2009 or 2010. Um, it was before my time, but, um, what ended up happening is, is that the board at that time, they decided, you know, listen, we'll, we'll, let's start our own. Let's, I mean, they're, they're, this group is not going to produce a show for us and, uh, we need an annual trade show for, for our industry. Um, and, uh, and here we are. So there was, that was one of the, the issues or, or troubles that AFTA went through and tried to produce its own show. Um, it had been in Denver for a long time and, and in Salt Lake before that as well. And uh, I think that was in 2010 when uh, AFTA produced its first IFTD show that it owned by itself. Um, and then it went to, from Denver, went to New Orleans and 2011 and then in reno 2012 and then um in 2012 in the fall of 2012 is when we we started our uh, relationship with the american sport fishing association and icast and iftd and icast co-located from 2013 which that was in uh, las vegas and then uh in orlando and we did uh the 2014 through the 2018 show in Orlando. Got it. And talk a little bit about some of the changes that you've been able to implement in the organization over your seven year tenure. Yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest things is, is communication. And, um, we, we want to communicate with our members as much as possible. So we send out a lot of emails, um, just keeping our members abreast of what's going on within the association. Uh, member benefits is a, is a big thing that we, um, we came up with in 2012 and 2013. We introduced uh, a guide and liability guide and outfitter liability insurance in all 50 States, which is the least expensive uh, insurance that you can find in the country. So it's $2 million of uh, 
aggregate liability and a million dollars per occurrence, and that is uh, $400 a year. And for a guy to join the association, it's $35. So we've seen a tremendous amount of growth in that category within the industry, and it saves it saves people a lot of money. And independent guides, if they try to go out and, and find their own insurance, it can be in excess of, of $2,000 for the same coverage. We also introduced a UPS shipping discount. Uh, we have staples discount. Uh, we have uh, liability. We have uh, insurance as well for rep, for sales reps, and uh, retailers can take advantage of for business insurance as well. Um, there's a, a definitely a, a lot of people out there, a lot of retailers that have taken advantage of it. And my, my <clears throat> the one that always comes to mind is uh, David Lineweber, who owns Angler's Covey down in uh, Colorado Springs. He took advantage of uh, the insurance and changed over, and he saved thousands of dollars on his annual premiums of switching over to what we offer. Yeah, it's amazing how that works. I've done that in looking for insurance for gun clubs, and once you kind of get outside the box in the sportman world, the underwriters really have a hard time wrapping their head around what we do. Yeah, they definitely do. I mean, we had a lot of conversations um, with the uh, underwriters and, and going through, I should say, our broker who is uh, Art Hoffert and Art uh, owns the Bissell agency here in Bozeman and tremendous guy. He's been in the, in the hunting and fishing world uh, as far as the insurance industry for 30 years. And, and Art gets it. I mean, it's, it was, it, it was difficult. I mean, especially for <clears throat> when you start talking about uh, flats guides specifically and insurance, the insurance industry, once they start seeing, you know, boats and, going offshore and they think that they're you're in you know hundreds of feet of hundreds of feet of water and you know miles offshore it uh, it changes things but you know rest assured we got with them and worked with art and and let them know that you know these these folks these guides down in uh, you know anywhere in the in Florida or flat flat skiffs they're they're they didn't realize that they were fishing in inshore and and not very far from shore so and in not in, in very deep water and so that was that was one of the hurdles that we had to overcome, but uh, it's worked and it's been uh, it's been fantastic. Well, that's great. And what should folks expect to see on the horizon in the next three to five years at, at AFTA? Well, we're just now finishing. Uh, we've been in a, almost a year long process right now of of updating our um, strategic plan, and it should be it's going to be voted on here October fourteenth at our. Uh, fourth quarter board meeting in Denver. And, uh, it was, it was interesting to see, uh, going back through past, um, past boards and, 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 and their process of developing a strategic plan and going back and, and looking at all the things that previous boards were, uh, were wrestling with. Uh, it, it's the same thing that this board wrestles with. Um, it, it's benefits, it's, show dates and and location for IFTD uh clean water uh public access it's all still it's all still relevant and still the same thing and so uh we had a uh, an outside firm uh, who we contracted with and and uh her name is Julie Absey and uh it's been a great process there was an environmental scan she contacted uh, quite a few manufacturer members retail members that are not part of of the board and just uh, and got their thoughts on where AFTA is and where AFTA should be going. 
And then we all came together and it's been, I think we've had three face-to-face meetings with her now and uh, we're at the final stages of it. We're implementing it right now. And uh, I mean, it, again, it's like any, anything that you do, it's, it's important to look back upon uh, historical evidence to see uh, uh, wh- where the organization was and how it's uh, kind of changed. So there's a lot on the horizon. There's, uh, I think it's, there wasn't a tremendous amount of change, um, at least unless it doesn't get voted on or approved. Um, but there wasn't a lot, uh, a tremendous amount of change from previous attempts at this or, or, you know, pre- previous iterations of a strategic plan. And I think, I think that bodes well for the organization that, um, we have our North star and it's, it's still shining bright and it hasn't changed very much. Yeah, that's really good because trying to move to a new North Star is very hard to do. We were talking about that before the call. Um, what do you think is the biggest misconception a lot of people have about AFTA? Um, that it's, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a network of good old boys. I mean, that was at one point in time, I think that's what it was. It was people thought of it as being um, a manufacturer's organization and that couldn't be further from the truth i mean we have a we have a very diverse board um it's definitely you know manufacturers are are an extremely obviously important part of our industry but uh they're not the only part and so seeing the seeing the changes over the years of uh leadership within the board uh we had our first you know and and i think it was 2013 or 14 we had our first retailer as the chairman of the association. And that was Tucker Ladd, uh, who owns Trout's Fly Fishing in Denver, Colorado. And our current chairman now is also a retailer, Colby Tro from um, Mossy Creek Fly Fishing in Harrisonburg, Virginia. So it's been, it's been great. We've seen diversity. We have inclusion. There's, we have women on our, on our board, which I think is really important. Um, yeah, I think it's a, Jen Levine, who uh, uh, works for Waterworks Lampson in Idaho. She was, uh, the chairperson, uh, last year. And so we've had a lot of change. I mean, it's been good. It's been good to see, um, it's good to see different people step up in different segments of the, of the industry, different categories of the industry to be able to have that leadership role. We had a sales rep as, uh, the chairman, Michael White. He was the first chair. He was the first chair that was a, a sales rep. So yeah, there's been a lot of change within the organization and it's, uh, it, it's good to see. It was definitely a little, you know, when you come in as a, a when I came in in 2012 and you see those, <clears throat> see the faces of the people that were there, um, when I first started and there after there is nobody on the board any longer that was a board member when I started, there's still, there's those, there's still definitely, uh, people who are involved and engaged within the association, um, and Tom Sadler, who is the who is the last board member to uh, roll off the board last year, um, a year ago now, uh, he was on the board when I was uh, when I was brought in in 2012, and he's still he's still sticking around. I mean, he's still part and he's still part of the organization. I think once you once you become part of the organization and you understand how passionate people are within the board and, and our mission, it, it's hard just to walk away. Um, it's a great group of people. Um, and like I said, we're, we're, we're dedicated, um, 
to the organization and to the industry. So Tom still, uh, to this day, he chairs one of our committees. He chairs the Government Affairs Committee, and he's been in government affairs for, God, I think close to 40 years. Uh, he lives in outside of Washington, D.C., uh, in, uh, in Virginia, and he's still very much involved with AFTA, and um, he's a great resource to yeah. kick ideas off of, and, uh, and he's a great... He's a great writer as well. He 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 ran the Outdoor Writers Association, so it was always good to have somebody that was there. That uh, when I first started, as far as you know, kicking ideas off of and press releases and whatnot. No, that's great. And so you know, if you're in the fly fishing industry, why should you join AFTA? Because it's it is your trade association. We are there representing your business interests. Um, whether if it's in freshwater or saltwater fisheries management, access issues across the country. Um, I mean, as we're, we're going to talk about it, I'm sure we're, you know, Pebble Mine, one of the largest issues from our industry, uh, environmental issues, I think, uh, probably for one, one of the most important ever. Um, it's It's been going on for 14 years. I jumped in you know, with two feet right away. The first week that I was hired for AFTA, I was in DC at a, uh, at an event lobbying efforts for, uh, you know, saving Pebble Mine or Bristol Bay, excuse me. And it's been, it hasn't stopped and it's been going on for, I think close to 14 years now. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the reason why you need to be involved from, you know, fisheries management issues, whether if you're in, Florida with issues that are happening with uh, Lake Okeechobee and, and our relationship with Captains for Clean Water um, to Stripers Forever and our involvement with Menhaden and Striped Bass in the Northeast. I mean, it's it's your government. It, it's it, it's it's your trade association, and you should be involved. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, we, we've touched on some of the environmental challenges, but, you know, what do you think kind of at a macro level as you look out, you know, what concerns you the most about uh, the viability of our sport going forward? Well, the viability, I mean, two things, right? I mean, access and healthy habitats. So without those two, uh, I would say pillars, um, we have nothing else, right? I mean, if we don't have access to healthy healthy habitats, clean water, and, uh, and, and fisheries that are managed productively for abundance um, and for the long term, um, our industry suffers. It, it, those are the things that, that I think are the, the most important things on that we always have to remember on the horizon. Um, and uh, it's a, it's a never-ending process for us. Yeah, and certainly access is becoming a bigger and bigger problem every day. Yeah, for sure. I mean, whether if it's in, you know, I guess I guess I'm 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 lucky in the fact that I live in Montana, where Montana has the most proactive uh, stream access laws in the nation. Where, you know, if you're below the high water mark, you're fine. I mean, you're even on private property. Uh, it's I think we take it for granted. I mean, I think some people take it for granted that. You know, it's, you can just walk out and, and, and go fish anywhere here in Montana. And, you know, I had the, <clears throat> I was in Wyoming two years ago for a, a wedding and I was going to bring my drift boat down and I got thinking about it. I was like, you know, what? I don't know these waters very well. And I don't want to get, 
I don't want to get a ticket for trespassing as far as being <laughs> running AFTA and being the president of the trade association that I get a ticket from, you know, access issues or trespassing because I was on my drift boat. And so I, I just left my drift boat at home and we hired a guide and, uh, I'm glad that we did because it was, I mean, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to find, find places where, unless you know where you're going, um, because the landowner in Wyoming owns the river bottom. So you can't wade, you can't get out of the boat. You can't put an anchor down. It's considered trespassing. Yeah. It's interesting how that varies from state to state and, you know, kind of moving on, we're recording this in the middle of September and, you know, all of us are familiar with the devastation uh, that Hurricane Dorian wreaked on the Bahamas. You know, I know you're talking to people in the industry down there all the time. What's kind of the latest about the situation on the ground? Yeah, well, it's it's obviously as as anyone's been watching the news or within the industry, you know, everyone's got ties to the Bahamas. It's it is uh, it's like our backyard. I mean. If the people of the Bahamas are are amazing, first and foremost, um, open, inviting, welcoming, uh, they give you the their shirt off their back if they had to. But the unfortunate thing is, is you know, we had this tremendous storm that went through there, and and it's just devastated, uh, you know, parts of Abaco and north of Abaco and and all of the, uh, Grand Bahama, and. Uh, you know, and talking to a bunch of people that are that are down there, lodge owners and whatnot. I mean, this is a humanitarian effort at this point in time. This is, uh, I mean, the lodges are the lodges are insured, um, but the people aren't. You know, they've lost everything. I mean, literally everything. Where I spoke to somebody, Rob Nair, who owns East End Lodge, the other day, and uh, one of his guides had the same same clothes on. He's had him on for over a week because he lost everything. And Rob was like, Oh, why didn't you tell me I would have brought you some clothes. Um, and so this is, this is a humanitarian effort and it's not going to end. It's, it's the infrastructure in the Bahamas to begin with was not what we are, uh, luckily lucky to have here in the United States. I mean, there's going to be, it's going to be a tremendous amount of time, I think before, um, we see any resemblance of, of what it was beforehand. It's, I think it's, it's going to be years and it's unfortunate. Yeah. Like I said, it's that humanitarian effort. I mean, these folks are, are, our brothers and sisters in the, in the industry. And, you know, I've, I've had the, the privilege and um, to go down there quite a few times and spend uh, quite a few, uh, quite a few days fishing. And, and I think, you know, you remember the fishing trips that you take, but it's, but you don't, sometimes you, you might remember the fish if it's something spectacular, but it's the, it's the people that you remember and those experiences and, you know, on the flat skiff and whether if it's a guide that loves to sing or, you know, tell jokes or whatever it may be, it's, those are the people that you remember sitting around the campfire at night after you've been fishing or having a beer in the lodge. Those are, it's the people that you remember the most and uh, the people are, like I said, it's a humanitarian effort down there now. And, and those people's lives have been devastated. Yeah. And I know that AFTA's responded with the double haul for Dorian relief. Can you tell us a little bit about the program? Yeah, you bet. Um, so uh, again, 
someone, as I said earlier, who still is, once you're part of AFTA, it never leaves you, I guess. Um, Jim Klug and, uh, owner of Yellow Dog or co-owner of Yellow Dog and his business partner, Ian Davis. Um, obviously they have deep ties to the Bahamas with the lodges that they represent in the area. Um, but we we came together at, right after the hurricane, and, and and Jim and I, and and Kirk Dieter as well from Angling Trade, and and Matt, our communications director, Matt Smythe, and uh, we just got on the phone and we were like, hey, we got to do something. The industry as a whole has to do something for this. And so, um, luckily, Jim and Yellow Dog has got the Yellow Dog Community Corporation and Foundation set up. It's an international nonprofit. And so we just, we thought, listen, let's, this is the way it's going to go. It, it, it's, it's not branded Yellow Dog. Um, it's branded YDCCF, the Yellow Dog Community Corporation and Foundation, and uh, our Conservation Foundation, excuse me. And, uh, and all the monies go to the people. This is, this is not about money going to the lodges. This is, this is direct effort direct impact on the people who were affected by the hurricane. So there's already been multiple uh, airplane relief trips that have gone over to the Bahamas. Um, there's been you know, things from baby food to baby to diapers to um, medications, um, toilet paper, and food. Um, just, just the bare essentials, right, that every human being um, needs, food, water, and shelter. So there's been tarps that have been shipped over. And, you know, this is, this is an effort that, uh, um, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know what else to say, except that it is, it's, it's just devastating what has happened. I mean, I mean, guides that have lost family members and entire families that have died. And, and it's, uh, we felt it was, it's, it's our responsibility. It's our industry. They're part of the industry and, uh, we needed to, uh, step up and help them. And so that's what we that's what we're doing. And um, this is not just a, a flash in the pan thing. This is going to be around for a long time. Um, uh, I think that's the uh, unfortunate thing in the 24 hour news cycle that we're a part of these days is that you have these you have these uh, news stories and or devastating natural events that happened. And uh, and after a while, people stop talking about it and they stop thinking about it. But, um, you know, we're we're committed to making sure that this is uh, this is a, a very upfront, public-facing campaign for as long as it needs to be. Well, that's really great. And is there a, a website that uh, we can point folks to to get more information and to make a donation? Yeah, if you go uh, right now to uh, AFTA, AFTA.org, A-F-F-T-A.org, right on our homepage, front and center, when you open it up, it's uh, there's a big uh, flyer there. Um, that uh, has the information on uh, the double hall for Dorian and you click on it and it's got all the information and links and, and how you can donate. Awesome. And I'll drop those in the show notes too. Perfect. Yeah. And I mean, and, and you know, and it seems like uh, Bristol Bay is going to always be in the news. And um, I, I know that recently uh, you encouraged your members to have a day for Bristol day, which was basically an event where retailers uh, had folks come to their store and then gave a, a percentage of their sales proceeds uh, to the cause. And I was just curious, you know, how did the event go? Uh, how many, how many organizations participated in a, Do you, if you have an idea of roughly how much money you guys raised? Yeah, it was a tremendous effort. I mean, this was, this was hatched. Um, let's think about this. And, uh, 
in May. And so we came with a lot of moving parts that had to happen here um, to get it to, to fruition. Um, luckily, we, we AFTA, through our, um, our granting arm, which is the fisheries fund, already have a, a nonprofit status set up. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we, we came together with a bunch of creative ideas of how to go about doing this, uh, the day for Bristol Bay, uh, just a single day where uh, the entire industry comes together um, to help protect one of the most important uh, fisheries in the world and the last, uh, I guess, sustainable caught fisheries or salmon in the country. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous amount of, uh, it's, uh, there are, there's a lot of, um, economic impact that comes out of this Bristol Bay region, um, for the United States and to our members. Uh, it's, uh, if you've never been there, it's, it's one of the most amazing places ever. I mean, I had the privilege in 2012 to go there in August uh, with Rich Hahn from Sims Fishing Products and, and Scott Hayde, who works for the Alaska Sportsman's uh, uh, Foundation. And uh, yeah, we 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 stayed at uh, at a lodge up there and uh, toured the area and got to fish some of the most iconic areas that you've ever heard of for salmon and trout. And uh, we got an opportunity as well to tour uh, the, well, the site of where the proposed Preble mine would be and uh, from the air. And it's, I mean, it's once you, until you see it up front, up close and personal, when you're flying over it, it's, it's, there's no way to describe just how first and foremost, how beautiful the area is and how interconnected um, the entire ecosystem is there. I mean, there's, there's water everywhere. And it's, it's just, you know, knowing what the initial mine uh, proposal was going to, how big it was going to be, um, it's, and flying over the areas that are going to be, you know, a, a, a holding pond for, for all of the, uh, <clears throat> the spoils that come out of the mine and out of the, out of the ground. It's just in an earthen dam that's, it was originally proposed to be 700, uh, I think just around 700 feet tall. And so you're flying over areas that are, you know, we were less than 700 feet off the ground at times. And uh, it, just to think that there is going to be a mine and that size in that area is just, it's amazing. And it's, it is the jewel. It's a crown jewel of the United States. And I mean, I understand that there's, we all, we all have to, well, let me first by first first say this that you know we as AFTA are not anti mine. Um, it's we all know that we have to have these precious minerals and resources uh, to survive in our modern day. But uh, it's the wrong it's the wrong mine in the wrong place. I mean, if it, if there was ever a failure, it would just devastate this that fishery and a way of life for the native people. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you've had your day for Bristol Bay. And I mean, I think all of us that are around the sport get a lot of emails uh, and a lot of information about, about what's going on, but what's the best way for the average fly fisherman to support the effort to stop pebble mine? You know, there's, there's multiple organizations out there that are fighting for it. I mean, obviously, you know, Trial Unlimited has been a partner in this from day one, you know, 
You know, TRCP is another one, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. Um, AFTA has been involved in this since day, since day one. So, I mean, we still have, um, if somebody wants to donate it, you can still go to our website and donate towards the day for Bristol Bay. Um, we currently, we raised over a hundred, close to $108,000 in that one day. And so, you know, it was great to see the industry come together um, from manufacturers to guides and outfitters um, to, and we also had a public facing campaign just for the normal person that, you know, has been, has had wanted, wants to protect the area. And so you can still donate. Um, it's still up on our website and it's uh, those monies will still be earmarked and it goes all towards all the money goes towards um, uh, into the fisheries fund. And um, the fisheries fund is a hundred percent of the money collected goes towards uh, the Bristol Bay defense fund. Got it. And I'll drop the links to that in the show notes too. And, you know, while we're talking about environmental stuff, probably within what the last week to 10 days, there's been some pushback um, on uh, the clean water act and some of the protections that the Obama administration uh, had tried to put in place, I guess, to protect tributaries of navigable waterways is probably, I guess, the simplest way to say it. Um, And while we were talking before the call, um, you said that AFTA had just released their their position on that particular issue. You want to share that with my listeners? Yeah, you bet. I mean, again, the what I said earlier, you know, clean water and and access to healthy habitats and, and access or access to those healthy habitats are are you know what drives our industry. And so, without clean water, um, it, it's imperative to our industry to have that. And so. The clean water rule in 2015 uh, under the Obama administration would have protected uh, head, headwater streams and, uh, and ephemeral streams so, uh, that, are, that are not um, uh, running year all the time. Uh, we've got a ton of them here in Montana. Uh, and so it would have protected those areas uh, because, let's face it, everything runs downhill, right? I mean, all of those waters uh, go somewhere. And then they end up in our ocean. And so it's, a, it's unfortunate and, uh, <clears throat> that this has happened and uh, we're still fighting it and still involved and engaged. Again, partners, Trout Unlimited, uh, we work really closely with them. They have a, um, a much larger, I guess, footprint than we do as far as um, a conservation organization. So we we do rely on them uh, quite a bit on, to help us out on these things and, and to keep us abreast of, of the situation that's going on there. Well, that's really great. And of course, you know, we're almost in October, which means it's almost time for IFTD. Um, and I know you're excited to bring it back to Denver. Uh, can you share with us a little bit about what uh, was the impetus for moving the event from Orlando back to Denver? Yeah, you bet. Um, you know, we're always, like I said, you know, engaged and trying to engage with our membership as much as possible. And, and uh, you know, throughout the rumblings of, of the years of, of IFTD being in Orlando in July uh, with ICAST. And, uh, and let me first say that loved going to ICAST, love ICAST. I mean, I'm a fisherman. doesn't matter if it's a fly or, or, or lures or, or throwing bait. It's, it's fishing and I love it. It's just a, they're all different tools in the quiver and different methods. And, uh, you know, we started hearing people that wanted to uh, have a change in the show, bring it, bring it to another location. 
at a time that, um, that the industry thought was best for it. And so again, survey our members, surveyed, uh, manufacturers, retailers, uh, guides, uh, sales reps and media. And we did that. We did that at the end of 2016, uh, into the beginning of early 2017. And, uh, you know, we, we're only as strong as our members, right? And it's, it's, we are a member based organization and, and we do what's in the best interest of our members. And the, the overall overwhelming response was Denver, October. And it was, I, I think the, the final tally was 82% of people wanted to go back to Denver and to have it in October. Um, and so that's what we did. We have, you know, we initially reached out to the convention center, Denver convention center in the summer of 2016, just to reserve some space um, with no contingencies, just so that we could uh, offer uh, those dates up to our membership. And, uh, you know, in January of, I think it was January of 2017 when we were at the, uh, I think it was the first, it was the first Atlanta fly fishing show. Um, we were there and we had our board meeting and uh, everybody that, everybody that was there at the show, we had a, uh, at that show and at the show hotel knew that we were having our board meeting and everybody was, you know, huddled around waiting to get news, you know, when we came out of that room. Uh, but we, as an association um, out of respect, just wanted to make sure that, you know, none of this information leaked out of the room and nobody heard about it before we had a conversation with uh, the American Sport Fishing Association. And so I think in, I think it was February or March of that year, um, while I was in D.C. on a trip, I met with Mike Nussman, who was the uh, CEO of the American Sport Fishing Association, and Glenn Hughes, who, who now is the, the president and CEO. Uh, Mike just retired last year. And we sat down and, and just had a face-to-face conversation and let them know that what was going on and, and where we were going to be. I mean, we, we gave them uh, a two-year notice um, and a commitment that we, we were going to be uh, co-locating IFTD with ICAST through 2018. And that's how it came to be. Got it. And what can you do in Denver that you weren't able to do in Orlando? Um, we, we could have we could have done whatever we wanted to do in 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 Denver. I mean, in Orlando. Excuse me. The same that we're doing here in in uh, in Denver. It's just that you know we are we're doing everything. So we're we're managing every aspect of the show from registration to, you know, contracts with all the vendors within the, the Denver convention center for food and beverage and audio and visual and security. Um, there's just been, there's been a ton more, uh, work on my plate. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, there was no, there, there really wasn't any difference. I mean, working with ICAST and ASA was, a it, it was great. I mean, we had a great relationship. We still do have a great relationship. Um, we just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't goodbye. I will see you soon. How about that? See you again soon is what I, uh, the way that I put it when, when, uh, we decided to, uh, move to Denver. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I guess too, being in Denver in October, it's great to facilitate networking for people to be able to come out and fish together either before or after the event. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, uh, the pre-registration numbers that we have are just, uh, 
it, it, it's, it was the right decision and our industry is, uh, is backing that decision. We have, uh, I think it was, I looked earlier today, I think we're at 200 and 242 individual retail shops who have already pre-registered for the show. So it's, it's a huge success, especially in an industry where, you know, kind of, kind of the, the common theme is, is, or a thought process is, is there's probably between 400 and 450 specialty fly retailers in the country. And when you get over 50% of them, uh, about 50% of them, you know, signed up to come to your annual trade show, I think it's, uh, a, a huge success and a home run. And, you know, we, we still have a month out. We still have a month before, just about a month out before the show kicks off. And so we still have 30 days of registration. It's, uh, you know, the, the I and IFTD, the international portion of it is definitely coming through. We've got, you know, attendees registered from 37 different countries. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, so for folks that may not know the exact dates, it's going to be October 16th through the 18th at the Denver Convention Center. And I know that the kind of the big kickoff event on the 16th is uh, an opening breakfast with Stephen Ranella of Meat Eater. You want to kind of walk us through kind of the highlights of the show? Yeah, you bet. So uh, as you said, I mean, well, we take possession of the Convention Center on Monday morning. Monday morning, we have our uh, exhibitor services company that comes in, Freeman, uh, who we've worked with for eight years now. Uh, great, co- great company. Um, it's the same people that I deal with have been dealing with for the most part is, um, for since we were in, uh, in 2013 and, uh, in Las Vegas. So Kevin Beal, who's our, my main contact there, um, still the same person that I deal with still, you know, it's a, it's a great relationship. It's a, we have some new people, I guess, from, uh, from Freeman that are helping us out, but yeah, the show floor gets set, set on Monday um, exhibitors that are 400 square feet or larger will be able to start setting up their booths on uh, Monday at two o'clock in the afternoon. And then uh, Tuesday morning, um, everybody uh, it can come in and, and start setting up their booth and at 8 a.m. And, you know, we'll probably go through, probably go to seven, eight o'clock at night that night to get it ready. And then, you know, like you said, a Tuesday evening, we have a, 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 rece- a, a seminar, two seminars and a reception. Uh, one is, uh, is, uh, how to leverage Facebook and Instagram for the specialty fly retailer. Um, we did the same seminar at our, at our dealer summit in Austin this spring. And, um, sitting through that seminar, I was amazed. I thought that I kind of knew what was going on with Facebook and Instagram and how you can do things. Boy, I, 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 I got schooled really quickly. It's amazing. Uh, what you can do and how it can impact uh, traffic and sales from a specialty retailer, get more people in your store. And, um, and then that evening or right after that seminar, uh, Dan Morgan is going to, is going to put that on. I don't know if you know, Dan, he works for project healing waters, fly fishing, but a lot of people, what a lot of people don't know, Dan is one of five uh, small business consultants in the country for Facebook. And so he is putting on this uh, Facebook and Instagram seminar. And then from there, we roll into a presentation from Rich Hill from the Grassroots Outdoors Alliance. Uh, He's going to share some data on specialty retailers and brands. Uh, And then we're going to have a cocktail reception that evening. Um, uh, Retailers, 
if you want to come to that or anybody, if retailers, manufacturers, whoever wants to come to those, se- those sessions, it's $75 to sign up for it. And if you, and if you show up to the event, you get your money back. That allows us to get some, you know, um, some buy-in, some skin in the game, I guess, for some people to register for it. And also allows us to, uh, to get a good head count for food and beverage needs. Um, how many people are going to be there for the reception after. So we'll have a, we'll have an open bar for probably about an hour after that session and have some, uh, some food as well. And, uh, just, a it's a great opportunity for, for everyone to come together the night before the show, um, have good conversation and, uh, and then go out to dinner after. And so then we roll in Wednesday morning, seven, seven o'clock in the morning, the doors will open, uh, at the convention center. Um, it's in, uh, it's in meeting room 706, I think it is, uh, where the doors will open up to right below our, right below our hall, hall C, which is at the Denver convention center. Um, that is a pre-registration as well. It's $40 for breakfast. And, uh, the, the ceremonies will kick off at seven 30 in the morning, a presentation, brief presentation for myself, a discussion on, on kind of some of the things that we spoke about here in this, uh, interview and uh colby tro the chairman will also speak and then uh frank peterson uh i don't know if it's going to be frank or if it's going to be uh rachel piacenza from the recreational boating and fishing foundation is going to do a presentation rbff is their acronym and they're uh they're the sponsor of the industry breakfast and so they're going to they're going to provide some great data on uh on participation in the industry um, and then, uh, Steve Ranella from the meat eater, he's our keynote speaker, avid outdoorsman, uh, angler hunter. Uh, I think he's going to share his views, um, on fly fishing and, and fishing in general. And then, uh, you know, that we'll probably end about eight forty five ish, eight thirty, right around there and then roll right upstairs. And then the, the doors to the convention center and the show opens at 9am and, uh, closes on closes on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Um, again, we've got a tremendous lineup of seminars uh, at the show that'll be going on throughout the three days. And uh, you can find all that information on our website at afta.org. Um, if you click on the uh, hover over the IFTD uh, portion on our on our website right below the, uh, the logo, it uh, will pop up a bunch of different different options, and one within there is uh, a seminar or a show show schedule, excuse me. And uh, yeah, new product showcase again. What, well, the highlights of our show, right? The, the blood, sweat, and tears of our manufacturers uh, that goes into uh, the products that they have released, new products for 2019, and uh, it's voted on, voted upon by their peers, so uh, media entities. Um, and uh, retailers and guides who are at the show can walk into the new product showcase and vote uh, on their products, what they feel is the, uh, the best products of the year, 26 categories within the new product showcase. And then um, <clears throat> Thursday afternoon at five o'clock at one of the casting ponds, we close the, uh, it's casting pond one. If you look on the floor plan, uh, it's the left casting pond. It closes it actually closes at two o'clock in the afternoon to transform um, the back cast area into uh, a stage set up. And, and we've got uh, audio that has to go in there 
and uh, also get ready for the uh, Iron Fly Tying Competition, which was sponsored by Renzetti. And uh, Lily and her team, they do a tremendous job on it. They, she brings all of, the, all of the tools and all of the materials. And then, uh, yeah, we have 20 tires, and they all sit down, and, and there's a panel of judges. And the best, the best fly um, that you can tie with a secret material and uh, the MC of that event is my good friend Chuck Frimsky. Uh, he has got uh, he's got a uh, he's the one who comes up with the secret material for the fly. So everybody has to tie um, in the final round uh, a, a fly with this special material. And then uh, there's a panel of judges, and and the judges vote on uh, on which is the best fly. And then, uh, like I said, at five o'clock, it, it, once that's done and we go into our new product showcase awards. It's, uh, it's, it's the highlight of the event. Um, in my opinion, I mean, you see, you see the, the folks that put sometimes years and countless hours into developing a product and bringing it to market. And when, when they win, um, and they're voted upon by their peers, I mean, you can see it in their, in their face and their eyes and their smile. And it's, uh, it's validation of, 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 of what they believe in and the energy that they've put into this product. And, uh, there's a, a couple other, um, things, uh, surprises going on as well. Uh, at that time, uh, Sweetwater, uh, brewery out of Atlanta is, is the sponsor of, of, uh, of the beer for the event. And, uh, and they're going to announce something at the show as well. So, which is, uh, it's going to be a, a, a it's going to be great. Um, I wish I, I I wish I could tell you I wish I could tell you what it is, but uh, uh, you just have to come to the show to find out what it is. Um, I'll be there. So yeah, and then uh, you know we've got a bunch of other things that that evening as well um, at the party at the pond. Um, one of our one of my very close friends, Robert Edens, who owns Road Drift Boats, he donated a, a complete drift boat to um to the fisheries fund again that's our our granting arm um of of afta uh, f- right now well we started that in 2014 and it's it's been uh it's been self-funded for the most part from profits from iftd so afta sets aside monies and every year um donates it to the fisheries fund and then we we give that that you know, we, we accept applications on a quarterly basis to the fi- to the fisheries fund, and uh, it's a separate board as well from AFTA, and uh, <clears throat> the board reviews the applications, and then uh, either uh, approves and or disapproves certain uh, applications that we've got in. So Robert um, has donated a drift boat to that, and then we've had Sawyer Oars as well has donated oars to it, Sage. Um, has also donated rods and reels and Rio with lines and, and, and flies, selection of flies and, uh, leader and tippet. And, uh, <clears throat> Yeti is, is donating a cooler to that as well. And so we're going to sell tickets uh, at the show. It'll be a bulk, multiple locations around. You'll probably see myself and some board members and, and you can buy tickets at, at row drift boats booth as well. Um, we're going to sell them $20 for an arm's length and uh, pull the ticket on Thursday night. And someone's going to walk away with a package worth almost $14,000. 
That's awesome. And uh, do you happen to have any movies for the event? Uh, no, we don't have any movies at that event. It's, um, you know, Wednesday night is the Drake Film Awards Film Festival. Uh, not Film Festival, Film Awards. And that's going to be at the Curtis Hotel on Wednesday night. So that's where you can get your fix for, for movies as well. Um, yeah, and then we, uh, you know, Thursday's, Thursday's a busy day uh, on the show floor. Uh, with all of the events that we got going on and, and seminars and the new product showcase and iron fly tying competition. And, and Wednesday we've got a casting uh, competition and historically we've done a distance casting competition, but this year we're going to be doing an accuracy casting competition. And uh, that's sponsored by Thomas and Thomas. And it's uh, Thomas and Thomas for the last few years has been sponsoring uh, both casting ponds and uh, you know, the, the folks over there at, at Thomas and Thomas have been great, uh, huge supporters of AFTA and, and, you know, with, uh, Neville Orsman, he purchased Thomas and Thomas a few years ago and, you know, his passion and for the industry is it's, it's, it's amazing. And it's, it's great to have them to be a partner and, and friends. And, and that's the thing, right? That's, that's what IFTD in my opinion is it's, it's, it's about, it's about the people. I mean, you've got a you've got a very small um, industry that uh, you have um, a lot of competition within the industry, but you have a lot of camaraderie within the industry and, and lifelong friends. I mean, eight years of running the association and 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 uh, and being at these events and throughout the year, whether if it's IFTD or fly fishing shows. Uh, or you know lobbying efforts that we have in DC that we bring members in for at times um these these people have become my close friends my dearest friends some of them um and i think that's what that's what the show's about i mean the, obviously the show's about product and 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 manufacturers and retailers and and you know sustaining what we have here and 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 creating a, a venue for uh business to take place but um it's the networking opportunities and it's those, those individuals and, and, and the people that you meet within the industry. I mean, it's, if you don't come to the show, um, as a retailer or anybody in this industry, I think you're missing out tremendously. It's, it's, you know, you, you, you get to see the sales reps and you get to see, you know, maybe you get to know a couple people within the, within the companies and the vendors that you're purchasing from, but IFTD is the place to come and meet you know, the VPs of these companies, the owners of these companies, the CEOs, um, where you create lifelong friendships and lasting relationships, uh, a face-to-face and a handshake is still super important in this world. And I think that, uh, that IFTD is, is the epitome of that. I mean, IFTD is the epitome of small, uh, the fly fishing industry is the epitome of small business in America. And it's, if you're not coming to these shows and, 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 and taking the opportunities that are laid out before you to meet with the marketing managers, to meet with the sales managers, to meet with the CEOs. And it's not just about buying product. It's about your marketing opportunities, how you, how you can work together as a team. And, and, and if you don't come, you miss out on it. Yeah, I know the face-to-face thing I think is super important, you know, not just because it's the way business used to be done, but I think, you know, with technology, it has a tendency to really kind of depersonalize things. And so I, I couldn't agree with you more about having the opportunity to actually, you know, shake hands and, um, and have a beer with, with folks that you're working with long distance. Yeah. 
And it's the other thing too. It's the it's not just that face to face with those manufacturers, right? That you're you're going into their booths and you're seeing them, and you know, and, and the steps there. But it's it's also the um, networking that you have with your peers. You know, whether if you're whether if you're you know a, a retailer, you might sit down and you get to see maybe your your friend uh, that's uh, on the other side of the country once or twice a year, and you get to network and talk about business practices and what's working, what's not working. And, uh, and the same is uh, the same can be said for every category of the industry that comes to the show, whether if you're a retailer media guide, outfitter, lodge, you know, industry associate, industry supplier, you know, it's those, it's those relationships. And, and, and that's what, that's what our industry, in my opinion, it goes back to those personal relationships. Like I said earlier, um, on a fishing trip, you, you might not remember, you might not remember the fish or the location or everything about the trip, but boy, you sure remember those people that you were fishing with. And it's the same, same thing can be said for the business. It's the, it's those business relationships. It's those personal relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, I mean, you've, but you've, your vendor space has been sold out for ages. Uh, how long will registration stay open? Registration is open, uh, the entire time. Um, it, it, the online registration will stay open. And, and people will be able to register in person. Uh, I strongly, strongly suggest that if anybody is thinking about coming to the show is that you pre-register, uh, just so that you don't have that hassle of standing in line and, and having to tell somebody all the information and, and, and having to validate. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing, right? Um, is validating all of these people that are <clears throat> coming to the show. Uh, I personally validate every single attendee. So Google has been Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, all the social media that you can imagine has been my, uh, has been my go-to tool here for, uh, for validating people at the show, specifically, you know, retailers and, and, uh, media and retailers, uh, the retailer badges are free. So, cause we didn't want, we don't want any, any, you know, barrier to entrance. So, uh, retail badges are free. And so we've had it, you know, I've, I've denied quite a few people. Um, it had to change a lot of, uh, people's registration as well from, you know, from a retailer to, uh, you know, an industry associate, industry supplier to, or to even to a, a non-exhibiting manufacturer. Got it. Well, before I let you go tonight, Ben, why don't you let folks know where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, sure. You can, uh, you can find us at AFTA at www.afta.org. Uh, we're also on Facebook, um, as the American Fly Fishing Trade Association, and also on uh, <clears throat> Instagram at AFTA and then underscore IFTD. Well, that's great. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your evening to chat with me, and I look forward to seeing you in person in Denver. Yeah. Thanks for your time, Marvin. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ben. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, it'd be really great if you could give us a review in iTunes and subscribe in the podcatcher of your choice, or you can try out our new Android and iOS apps. Again, a shout out tonight, sponsored the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival. Tight lines, everybody. Mm-hmm.